Good morning, His people. Welcome to church. So wonderful to be with you this morning. And I want to just welcome people who are outside of Peter Maritzburg as well. I know a lot of our folks in Maritzburg uh, look at uh, and enjoy our service online. But if you're particularly outside of Maritzburg, uh, somewhere in the world, we just really want to welcome you. And um, my name is Jacques, and it's such a privilege to bring the word to you Uh, on Sunday mornings. And Lord Jesus, I just commit this time to you, Lord. Lord Jesus, this is your word. And I just pray for your anointing on your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to speak to you this morning is a message I've entitled, First Encounters with Jesus. And we're going to be looking at the last couple of verses of uh, the book of John from um, John chapter 1. And so what I want to look at in, 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 in this section is actually, it's actually kind of flowing out of what we've been looking at in this series. Remember, we, we've been looking at this time before Easter and for hundreds of years, Christians have celebrated Lent, the season before, before uh, uh, Easter, which is next weekend. But the significant thing about uh, the, the, the time is the 40 days before that many Christians will actually look at Jesus' time in the desert and the temptations he went through, which we've done the last three weeks. And I actually just read on, um, and we looked in Matthew, in Matthew 4, if you read on from that, Jesus, after his time in the desert, basically starts his public ministry. And one of the things, he, he starts preaching the kingdom of God, and he starts gathering disciples. And I was reading, I read the account in Matthew, and we've ministered about that time where Jesus called the first disciples. But the story of Jesus calling disciples is actually found in all four Gospels. And I was also in my personal devotions reading John chapter 1. And so I've decided to go and look at the scriptures in John 1 where Jesus calls the first disciples. Now what's important is to note if you read the different gospel accounts, they're not all exactly the same. They, they actually are referring to different people in different places. And, and Bible scholars actually believe that it was different encounters that these people had with Jesus at different times not necessarily the same time and so so but let's look at what John says and so let's just go to the scripture and it says in uh, John 1 uh, from verse 35 now remember this is the apostle John writing uh, who was one of the disciples of Jesus from verse 35 again the next day John now he's writing about the John the Baptist here John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Verse 38, Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I just want to focus on some things on, on, on in these verses and then we'll move on. Firstly, it speaks about that there were two disciples and these were actually John's disciples. It says stood with two of his disciples. So it's John the Baptist's disciples. They're standing there and suddenly the, the Bible says 
that John looked at Jesus. In the original language here, this looking was literally a gazing with intensity. It's as if John just saw so much more when he looked at Jesus. Now, if you've read the beginning of John, uh, this this chapter, uh, John had met and, and had a couple of encounters with Jesus. And so when Jesus comes here, I, I wonder what John was seeing and thinking as he saw Jesus walking. And, and I'm sure that these two disciples of John that were standing with him would have seen their, their, their teacher um, looking at Jesus. And, and, I, and it, must have, it must have struck them how he looked at Jesus. Now, um, what's so interesting is who are these two disciples? Now, remember this book is written by John the Apostle. And, and we'll see on, on, in, in the next few scriptures that he actually says that one of these disciples, these two over here, is Andrew. But he doesn't say who the other disciple is. And, and this is so typical of John. If you read throughout the, the, the Gospel of John that, we re, that we're reading from now, he never mentions himself. He speaks about the disciple in, in a number of instances and when he does that, it's clear from Scripture he's actually talking about himself. But he never blows his own trumpet. He's a major player. He was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. But he doesn't blow his own trumpet. Nowhere does he say what, you know, how wonderful, how fortunate, how blessed, how close. He, he, he's in all his writing, he doesn't even mention his own name. And and that's just so beautiful, the humility of John the Apostle in this. It's so, it's so different today where, you know, especially on social media, everybody's trying to trumpet themselves and, and, you know, say, here am I, look at me, click on me, like me, whatever. But John doesn't. And so, and so the scripture says the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So they heard John speak and they followed Jesus. I mean, just look at this. John only has two disciples with him. They see Jesus. They follow Jesus. And, and I just love John's heart. John says, that he, he said, that I may decrease and he may increase. And that's literally what's happening here. Yeah, he's losing two disciples to Jesus. But folks, that is what discipleship is about. We are wanting to help people to follow jesus that's what it's about people are falling more in love with jesus passionate for him hey as a disciple then we've done our jobs john has done a fantastic job that his two disciples are recognizing jesus and they're following him so so this is just so beautiful and when jesus it says in verse 38 over here jesus turned and seeing them following he said to them what do you seek what do you seek? Such a profound question. Jesus was so good at asking questions. And I'm sure that question really cut to their heart. What do you seek? And, you know, when I read it and I've underlined it for us this morning as well, the question is, what do you seek? The question to me is, what do I seek? What do I desire? What do I desire from the Lord? What are the deep, 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 longings and yearnings of my heart what are the yearnings and longings of your heart and that is what the lord is saying 
and he's and he's asking you um and they respond where are you staying they it's they couldn't even respond properly they just they want to be with jesus they want to i want to be with you lord and so they say where are you staying and an amazing but but i want to just focus on this question what do you seek and I was reading recently and somebody was, somebody was writing and they said, they were talking about the why questions of life. And they said, you know, sometimes asking the why questions are not as good as asking the what questions. And, 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 and I just want to put this up here. And it's, it's something that's been a theme the last couple of weeks, just looking at the questions we ask ourselves. Remember, a while ago we looked at, you know, what is the wise thing to do? But this morning, I just want to put up and I want to contrast what questions as opposed to the why question. You know the why questions. Why did this happen? Or why did this happen to me? Why did it have to happen to me? Or God, why did, yeah, you know, lots of God, why, you know, questions with God and why. And they're not always that helpful. And 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 I want to just put something put up some what questions that are so much more helpful they 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 direct us better so often why questions are so so broad actually they're not always that helpful what do you seek this is literally the text of scripture that jesus is asking them what do you seek what do you desire what's in your heart such a good question but it's 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 a seeking it's a probing what are you wanting to say to me, Jesus. Folks, you know, these questions, you can, you can have such, such amazing time with the Lord around. What are you wanting to say to me, Jesus? How about this one? Lord, what are my options? You know, sometimes stuff happens and, and we want the big why questions to, to be answered. But sometimes asking a question like, Lord, what are my options? Because sometimes we can't see the wood from the trees and, and, and we can't figure out, sure, which way do we go? Well, let's go before the Lord and say, Lord, what are our options? How about this one? What am I feeling? As, uh, as you would, would know if you've been following us, we did the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course in 2019. And it's very much just looking at how the Lord can lead us. If we would just dare to to look at our feelings and say, what's going on inside you? What's going on under the iceberg? Remember the iceberg, small portion up above the surface, majority under the surface. If we will just ask those questions, we can we can learn so much from the Lord about ourselves and and his leading in our lives. Next question, Jesus, what would you like my life to look like? five years from now what would you like my life to look like five years from now it is it is such a good question and it's it's a particular question that i've just been just been meditating on personally lord what do you want my life to look like five years from now now you could just ask what do i want five years from now but you know as somebody who's following jesus who surrendered their life to jesus i've just said lord what do you want my life to look like five years from now so let's go on we've looked at some of the what questions but what happened he said to them as these two disciples come and see come and see 
And again, you know, these, some of these little phrases, when you read your Bible, they can just jump out. The Lord's inviting you, come and see. And we're going to see what he says, for example, to Nathaniel just now about what he's going to see. But these guys, this is Jesus calling them to walk with him for the next three years. The miracles, the signs, the wonders, the teaching, the training, the wisdom, the truth, the deliverances, the provision, the love, the concern, the questions, and of course, Calvary and the resurrection and the calling to take the gospel to the nations, to the ends of the earth. They were going to see so much. Their lives were about to be transformed. Come and see. And I, and I suppose that's a universal call to discipleship. Jesus is saying, come and see. Come and see me. And I remember years ago just being captivated by the, by, by the thought of, I want to know you and make you known. That means knowing, seeing you. I want to see you, and I want other people to see you. So it's just so profound. Come and see. Such a profound calling. The Bible says they came, and they saw where he was staying, and remained with him that day. Wow. Imagine spending a whole day with Jesus. And I, I must say, I was wondering. I was wondering what, what, what his quarters would look like. I was wondering what his... You know, the place, he, his bed, um, you know, the kitchen area where he was cooking, etc. And, and I was, I'd, love to, I'd love to chat and hear what some people would say regarding how they thought Jesus' room and, and living quarters would be like. Uh, personally, I think, I think it'll probably be quite neat and tidy, but yet I think it'll be quite simple. Not, not very flashy and extravagant. But that's, that's just my thoughts. But look what, what the, the John says. Now it was about the 10th hour. And this, this, this means that John was very much present in what he's writing. Because if you notice the actual time of day, you would have been present right over there. And so that's why Bible scholars believe, because the detail is so accurate, that this, this, this other disciple is him. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. So the other disciple was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas or Peter, which means rock or stone. And, and it also just prophetically speaking about how God was going to change his life from being quite a hot-headed, spontaneous person to being a rock-solid, stable, reliable, kind of salt-of-the-earth kind of a person. But I want to just focus on this. It says that Andrew, the first thing he did was he first found his own brother, Simon. He first found his own brother. The first thing. When, when, when he met Jesus, the very next thing is he's thinking about his brother Simon, Peter. Peter the apostle. Yes, the guy who denied Jesus three times but was restored beautifully um, next to, the, next to the, the lake. The first person that Andrew thinks about, the first thing he does is my brother. 
And, and, and if we look at this, this text, this story, this is something that really just jumped out at, uh, out at me, is how much as they came to Jesus, they got a heart for their loved ones, a heart for other people. And, and I remember years ago hearing that, you know, if, if you could look inside the heart of God, you would find people. God loves people. That's why he sent his son to this earth to die on the cross of Calvary was to make a way for people to come to him. And so the first thing he did was call, call his brother. And verse 42, and he brought him to him. So the two words I want to highlight is found. And what does found look like? You know, I kind of think of hide and seek. Who knows where, where Peter was? How, who knows how much looking or searching he had to do? We don't know. But he found him and he brought him. And this word, this word brought, I was just thinking of how many times over the years, you know, we have brought people for example, to church so that they can come to know the Lord and surrender their hearts to him. I remember when I was at university, we, before church would start, we would round people up. We were usually a whole bunch of students that used to walk up to campus to go and attend um, church. And we used to have church in, on Sunday afternoon. But we were constantly bringing people along. And and that is just, that's Bible. I I. You know, it was something we just did. It, it nearly was like, hey, this is so good. It, it, it wasn't a heavy. I never heard anybody put a heavy on me about it. It was just we wanted to do. And over the years, how often we, we have always picked up people and brought people to church. And, and it's just, it's Bible. It happened right in the beginning with the very first disciples. That is how Peter, the apostle, came to Jesus. His brother found him. And brought him. And it's still happening today. It's just so Bible. This is how God works. So Jesus didn't you know, go and seek Peter all by himself. He found Andrew. And, and then he found. Uh, and Andrew found his brother. I just want to put this up. Just about Andrew. Andrew is quite an amazing guy. It says this. Each time Andrew is mentioned in the gospel of John. He is bringing someone to Jesus. And they're the references in John 6 and John 12. But through the centuries, this is how most people come to faith in Jesus. It's through others finding them and bringing them. It's just Bible. This is how the Holy Spirit has brought the majority of the two billion people on this planet today. is by others who've encountered Jesus finding them and bringing them along. That's how, that's how the Holy Spirit has worked through the centuries. A Peter has an Andrew who introduces him to Jesus. A Nathaniel has a Philip. This is so natural because it is the nature of life to share something valuable and meaningful with others that we love. That's what it's about. This, this, this is the heart of the gospel. We found something pre precious, a pearl beyond price, the Rose of Sharon, thinking of some different Bible metaphors for finding Jesus, discovering that, that, that Jesus is the way to the kingdom, to the Father, to eternal life, discovering it. How can we keep quiet about it? It's the nature of life to share something valuable and meaningful with others that we love. 
That is the heart of it. That's the heart of the gospel. The Barna Institute, and this is an institute in America that does a lot of research, um, you know, just about uh, Christianity and, and various things. And they did research. This was last year. This was last year during the worldwide pandemic. That 62% of churched Christians hope that post-COVID-19 churches will keep using digital means of gathering people together. Keep using digital means. And, and we're doing it. We've started gathering again in, in person in our church. But we just felt we're going to carry on with our online service. We basically are running two services every Sunday. An online and an in-person um, service at our church building. As such... They're keen to play a role in inviting friends, family, or acquaintances to participate in online services. What started with Andrew and Peter is carrying on with you and me today, even in this online world we've, 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 we live in now. In-person gatherings are the more appealing invitational environment. Nearly two-thirds of churched Christians, or 64%, say they're open to inviting someone to attend an in-person service. And 40% say they're open to inviting someone to join them for an online church service. That's joining them in an online service. And so can you see what happened with Andrew and Peter is carrying on? And I want to submit to you, it will carry on until Jesus returns. This, this desire to share the good news, the gospel, that's what it means with others. Let's go on. Scripture goes on. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip. So here Jesus is finding Philip. He's doing the hide and seek thing with Philip. And he said to him, follow me. <laughs> I just love those words. That's the simplest definition of a disciple. A disciple of Jesus somebody who follows Jesus. And there are two important aspects of following somebody. Firstly, remember, somebody you're following is, is your leader. Jesus is our leader. He's my leader. He's the one leading this beautiful church in Peter Maritzburg called His People. We are following Him. But at the same time, following means we're on the move. You can't follow somebody if you're sitting down. Following means you're on the move. You are willing to listen and obey the Lord. And, and what does following look like? Who knows who are the people who are your Peters that the Lord is, is wanting you to maybe seek and bring to an online service or maybe to an in-person service. That's, that's following Jesus. Verse 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him. Now you remember, Jesus found Philip. Yeah, Philip is now finding Nathanael, the same thing Andrew did to Peter. And said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I just love this. So Nathanael, he is so full of prejudice. Who knows what bad experience he had with people from Nazareth? Or who knows what bad reputation? But this is prejudice speaking over here. He's like, oh no, nothing good can come from Nazareth. And you could imagine that, you know, if Jesus had been born or grown up in Jerusalem, it would have been more acceptable. But no, I just love the fact that the Lord loves to break the mold. And 
and, and, and the Lord also loves places that are kind of off the map, um, and which Nazareth was. And Philip said to him, come and see. What I love about this, Philip didn't give in, get into a big argument about the pros and cons of Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jerusalem and an intellectual debate and try and deal with his prejudice before he comes to Jesus. And this is the reality, folks. We are going to have people coming to our churches. They're coming in with prejudice. Now, there's, there's 101 different kinds of prejudice. And, but, but you know what? We need to get people to come as they are and allow Jesus to change their hearts. And then it's amazing how sometimes you don't even have to, you know, say, hey, what about your prejudice against Nazarenes, okay? Because they've encountered Jesus and, hey, all their prejudice, the Lord actually deals with it. Come and see. That's all he says. Come and see. Sometimes you don't have to argue. Just say, man, just come along. Yes, there is place I recognize sometimes to address people's concerns. I mean, apologetics is beautiful and there are times we need to. Sometimes just like, okay, okay, I, I know, but just come, 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 come on Sunday. Come, we, we're running this brilliant course. We've got a connect, a connect group. Just, just come. I, I, know, I, know, I, know, I know you got those issues, that's fine. But come, we're going to have a good connect group on Wednesday nights. I'll, I'll pick you up, okay? Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Or guile. The old King James says guile. Amazing. So this Nathaniel comes along, okay, and he's got all these bridges there. Okay, this is a Nazarite, or Nazarene, not sure about this dude. He can't be good. And Jesus says this amazing thing is, an Israelite dude in whom there's no deceit or guile. Now, now what does this mean? I, I actually, I was, I was intrigued by this. And it's, it's one of those sayings, you know, when I looked in one of the online dictionaries, they literally had this scripture as a reference, not a Christian dictionary. They use the scripture as a reference for an, uh, the application of this word, deceit or guile. So let's just look at it. Let's just unpack it a little bit. Um, so what is Jesus meaning? There was nothing tricky or deceptive in Nathaniel. He didn't wear a mask. He was open and honest. What is guile or deceit? Cunning or artful deception, deceptiveness, fraud, duplicity, or dishonesty. Deceitful is how Jacob is described before his change of heart in Genesis 27. Hence, the temple translation of the Bible says of Nathaniel, I love this translation, it says, he was an Israelite in whom there was no Jacob. <laughs> I just love that. An Israelite in whom there was no Jacob because the name Jacob was synonymous with being deceitful. And, and, and you know, many people say, why did he use this, the word an Israelite? Because this was how Israelites were meant to be. The people of God, it's one of the most basic things that we are honest folks. We're not scheming. We're not, we're not um, you know, in this with ulterior motives. And I want to say particularly, particularly with our, with our love for the Lord and our, and our desire to share God with people. Folks, we do it with a pure heart because we know God is good and the love of God it burns in our heart and we just want people to encounter the goodness of God, the love of God, the forgiveness, the redemption, the life of God. Folks, we have no impure motives in our desire to seek people and bring them along. 
we and I pray that we would have this heart of, of Nathaniel, just an honest, upright heart. Now, Nathaniel is so struck by this. Nathaniel said to him in verse uh, 48, How do you know me? In other words, Jesus hit the nail on the head. And you see, what Jesus is doing here, he's actually flowing in, in, in the prophetic. He had discerned, and, and two of the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the Bible, and many Christians flow, is the gift of a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. So, so yeah, he's, and, and they are aspects of the prophetic. He, he, he saw exactly how he was, a word of knowledge. Like, this is how you are. You have no guile. You are upright and honest, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was like, how do you know me? But Jesus doesn't finish there. Jesus answered and said to him, it says over there, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Look at how this man has changed within like two verses from nothing good can come from, from, from Nazareth to you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Look at how Jesus transformed this man's heart. And look at also the power of just flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Jesus is using the prophetic. He's, he's doing prophetic evangelism over here. And folks, I want to say, this is the whole point. For years, we've been, we've been encouraging people. We do prophetic activation. We train people in the, prophetic, in, in the prophetic in the church space. The church is meant to be training so that when you go on the highways and the byways and in the boardrooms and the classrooms of this world, that you can flow in the prophetic, that you can call people and say, I see this is how, who God sees you to be. You are upright and honest. You are not a deceiver. And we speak identity to people. And we can say, hey, I was praying for you. And I remember one time, Jenny and I, we were having, we were somewhere at a restaurant having coffee or something. And, and the waitress came, and there was such a strong sense of, I just sensed that she was very concerned about a child. And, and I specifically, I can't remember the gender of the child or the age, but I just sensed it. And, and Jen and I shared it with this lady, and she was so struck, just like Nathaniel is struck here. Jesus said, I saw you uh, sitting under the fig tree over there. And Nathaniel was like, oh my goodness, this is God. And folks, the prophetic, the gifts of the Spirit, they are there to get people's attention, not to dazzle them, not to impress them and show them how amazing we are. Show them how amazing Jesus is, to lead them to Jesus. That is the ultimate, the ultimate goal, is that people would follow Jesus. Just so beautiful. Yeah? In verse 50, Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I see you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things things than these oh it's beautiful and he said to him most assuredly i say to you year after you shall see heaven open and the angels of god ascending and descending upon the son of man i want to just say over here he says you will see greater things than these i mean jesus calling these disciples he's these guys are going to walk for the next three years with jesus and nathaniel uh, his, his, his surname or other name was Bartholomew. And they were going to see the most amazing signs and wonders done by Jesus, the most amazing teaching and truth and questions and, and deliverances and provision. And of course, the incredible, incredible 
Calvary that Jesus was going to, paying the price, paving the way that we can come without shame, without guilt, without condemnation to the very throne of God. Incredible. The resurrection of Jesus and sensing the call to take this good news to the nations. And it's just the, what they were going to see was incredible. We know because we read, read by the Bible, we know some of the stuff. But I want to say this call to see greater things is on every one of us. Folks, if you desire to follow Jesus, you're going to see great things. If you're open to be followed by Jesus, you're going to see great things in your life. God's going to give you words of wisdom and words of knowledge. You're going to see people's lives being changed. People following Jesus, the greatest miracle, people being born again. It's amazing. And it says here, you shall see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending. And of course, this is very much this picture of, of, of angels ascending and descending is what Jacob saw, that stairway to heaven. And Jesus he said, he is the way. He literally, he is. How does heaven come? When Jesus, Jesus made a way for heaven to come, for the, uh, the work of angels in people's lives comes through Jesus. So as we introduce people to Jesus, we literally are uh, making making a way, not just for them to go to heaven, but for heaven to come into their lives, for them to be like, if, if I could say a conduit for heaven to come into their families, their work workplaces, their schools, um, wherever God has got them. It's just such a beautiful picture. But I want to just highlight, we've looked at, and we've basically looked at how five different people came to follow Jesus. And let's just look at it. On the next slide, I've got it for you here. So, firstly, there was Andrew and John. Remember the first two disciples we looked at? And, and, and remember, John is the apostle who's actually writing the book of John. And they came to Jesus. How come? Because of the preaching of John the Baptist. And folks, there's so many people every Sunday across the world that come to Jesus because the gospel is preached. Because people hear the truth and, 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 and that truth impacts them. And they respond to the truth and, and surrender their lives to Jesus. So this is, this is how, how these two, Andrew and John, came to follow Jesus. Then there's Peter. How did Peter come to G follow Jesus? Peter came to Jesus because his brother Andrew found him and brought him to Jesus. And we've looked at that one. Then, of course, there's Philip. How did Philip? Philip came to Jesus because Jesus found him. Jesus did the hide-and-seek thing with him. And called Philip to follow him. Then of course there's Nathaniel. He came to Jesus because Philip found him. The same thing that Andrew did to Peter. And invited him to come and see. I want to highlight. Here we've got five people. Andrew, John, Peter, Philip and Nathaniel. And I want to make this very important point. Jesus only found one of these people directly. And who was that? That was Philip of course. And this is so important to realize. Now, you know, you do the stats over here. Four out of five people came to Jesus because of others. And you know, I want to submit to you that I actually believe that kind of a ratio is still too true today. Yes, there are many, many people that have direct supernatural encounters with God through dreams. They, they, they dream about Jesus. They have angelic encounters. It happens. But folks, it's just not the majority. The majority of people come to Jesus because their brother Andrew went to go look for them and found them and brought them to a place that they could encounter Jesus. Maybe a church meeting. Maybe it's a connect group. 
That's just how it works. How did Nathaniel come? Because his friend Philip went and looked for him. And he had all these issues about people from Nazareth. And, and Philip says, yeah, okay, 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 okay. Just come, just come and see. Just come along, Nathaniel. And the prophetic just cut through all his, all his issues. Notice how the prophetic just cut through his issues. Didn't worry about his issues. And he is just declaring um, how amazing Jesus is. So, yes, we trust Jesus to reveal himself to people. And only Jesus can save. But ma the majority of times, Jesus uses, uses you and me. And, and I want to speak to you. You are hearing this word. And for many of you, you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've dedicated my life to serving the Lord. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my Master. But how many people does Jesus see behind you? What do I mean by that? By that? How many Peters are behind you? Or how many Nathaniels are behind you? Or Marthas? Or how about Ntokozos? Or how about Sharon's? How many people is Jesus saying, would you go and find them? And would you bring them? That is something that, that, that is just Bible. This is how majority of the two billion people today who consider them Christ followers, themselves Christ followers, have come to follow Jesus through others. And I want to just finish off by looking at the testimonies about Jesus. What did these people say about Jesus? And what's interesting is they all responded differently. And how it's the beautiful thing is your testimony is unique. Nobody can argue with your, your testimony of Jesus, your story of Jesus, your encounter of Jesus. Nobody can argue with the reality of how you met Jesus. And let's look at their testimonies. John the Baptist, this is what he said of Jesus. He said, Jesus is the Lamb of God. And this, you know, the whole, to, to an Israelite, a lamb was very synonymous with sacrifice. And so right there, John is actually saying, saying, and and literally prophesying what would happen at the cross of Calvary. Jesus would lay down, sacrifice his very own life as, a lamb, as the Lamb of God. What did Andrew said? Andrew said, Jesus is the Messiah. And literally for thousands of years, this entire nation is looking for the Messiah. And Andrew says, he's the Messiah. I found him. And remember, that's what he told Peter. And then Philip Philip, remember, went to his friend Nathaniel and said, Jesus is the one prophesied in the Old Testament. Remember, he mentions the law and the prophets, which, which is the Old Testament, how they refer to the Old Testament. That is how Philip um, uh, testifies. Nathaniel said, Jesus is the Son of God and the King of Israel. Beautiful. Can you see how each one, it's different, but it's all totally true. Jesus, the, I mean, the names of God, the character, the nature of God, it's big. And finally, I want to come to this. What is your testimony of Jesus? Because the significant thing is, the Peter, the Nathaniel, the Ntokozo, the Sarah, that the Lord is wanting you to testify with. Your testimony is the perfect testimony for them. Your revelation of Jesus is what they need to hear. And so I want to encourage you, what is your testimony? And who are the Peter's? Who are the Nathaniels? Who are the Ntukozas and the Sharons? The 
the Lord is wanting you to share your testimony? Is the Lord wanting to you to seek and for you to bring to Jesus? And I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us. This is how the kingdom advances every day. There, I've heard numbers of how many people are coming to Christ per day, and it's thousands. And it's through you and me. It's through the Andrews, and it's through the Phillips that, 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 that are already followers of Jesus, that the Peters and the Nathaniels come. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that, that we can follow you, that we are Christ followers. But Lord, would you give us opportunity to share our testimonies of you? And Lord, would you show us, would you show us who are, who are the Peters, the Nathaniels, that you are wanting us to seek, you are wanting us to bring to you, Lord. Grace us, I pray for, and I just pray for that also that prophetic anointing that Jesus walked in, just to be able to see Nathaniel and, and call out his identity. I pray that we would walk in that, Lord. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Be led by your Holy Spirit as we endeavor to follow you, Jesus. You're our leader. We're following you in the highways and the byways, in the boardrooms and the classrooms, Lord. Lead us, Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you.